This is AQR's The Curious Investor, a show that breaks down some of the most important ideas in finance to help us make better investment decisions. I'm Dan Villalon. And I'm Gabe Fagal. Today, we're taking a deep dive into machine learning. And we're joined by someone who studies it as an academic and applies it as a practitioner. I'm Brian Kelly. I'm head of machine learning at AQR and professor of finance at Yale. We're also joined by a leader at one of the most cutting-edge research facilities in the world. My name is Horst Simon, and I'm the Deputy Director for Research and the Chief Research Officer at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Let's start with a basic example to show the difference between machine learning and traditional computer programming. Say we want a computer to figure out whether an email address is valid or not. Brian says the traditional way of doing this is pretty simple because we can tell the computer exactly what to look for. You know, there has to be an at sign, and that should be followed by a domain name, and so on. And it would look just like a sequence of if-then statements. If there's an at symbol, then move on to the next step. Right. And by the time you got to the end of that list of if-then statements, if all of them were satisfied, it would return valid. And if at least one of them was not satisfied, it would return invalid. Piece of cake, right? Now, ironically, solving a problem like this using machine learning is actually much harder because you don't provide the rules. The computer has to figure them out. What the machine learner is going to say is that, oh, that programming approach is sort of way too human-intensive for me. I don't want to figure out what the rules are explicitly up front. Instead, I'm going to just ask you for two things. Give me a data set that has examples of valid and invalid emails. Second, give me a statistical model to use. If I can put those two together, what I can essentially do is learn what the appropriate classification rules are for email addresses. In this case, you give the computer a big list of email addresses, and you flag whether each one is valid or not. So implicit in that huge data set is really everything that I need to know about what is valid and invalid about email addresses. So as long as I can take those examples, apply a statistical model to them, I can learn what the appropriate sets of rules are. Think of a statistical model as a type of regression. All it's trying to do is tell you the relationship between things. So in this case, does a given attribute in an email, like an at symbol or domain name, does that help you predict whether an email is valid or not? And now that the program has figured out what attributes to look for, you can give the computer an email address it's never seen before. It'll use what it learned from the old data set to predict if this new email is valid. So that example, you know, you show that to people and they say, well, why the hell would I ever use data to solve that problem? The computer programmer's solution seems so much better. And the answer is that, yeah, you're totally right. That's not a good approach for that problem. But you have to recognize that's not your typical problem. Most problems in the world don't look like that. They're way more complicated. They look more like, here's a picture. Tell me if there's a cat in it, mm -hmm. right? And that's a really hard problem for a computer program. It would be an infinitely long list yeah. of if-then statements, which makes it infeasible. People talk about machine learning like it's a novel approach we've never seen before. But there's more history to it than you might think. 
machine learning today should be viewed as a marriage of two disciplines that historically lived totally separately. They were just siloed. You had statistics and you had computer science, and they didn't interact with each other. Computer scientists were sitting there figuring out how to program computers. Statisticians were sitting there figuring out how to better do estimation. And modern machine learning is about bringing those two fields together. And you might wonder, if the underlying ideas aren't all that new, then why does machine learning seem like it's only recently come into its own? What is new is the computational power and the computing approaches. So all of the newness of machine learning is happening on the data and the computing side. All of the methodological stuff, that's more or less old. If your computer isn't powerful enough, it won't be able to handle difficult questions. Like, does this picture have a cat in it? Just think of all the variables, or in machine learning speak, parameters you'd have to process to get that cat question right. Like, does it have ears? How big are they? How far apart are they? What shape are they? And this is just ears. Go back to the 1980s, and you think about the types of models that people are estimating, and they're models with, you know, maybe tens of parameters. And why are they estimating models like that? Well, if you think about it, it's not because they necessarily thought those were good models. It's because those were the reasonable models. Those were the practical models, given the amount of data that we had at our disposal, right? If I have 1,000 or 10,000 observations, it's reasonable to think about estimating 10 or maybe even 100 parameters. It would have been crazy to provide a computer in the 80s with millions of observations and asked it to figure out thousands of parameters. The tech just wasn't ready yet. And that's the transition that's occurred. We've moved to situations where we have literally billions of pictures that are classified by people. And now those are observations that we can use in a statistical model. If you have a billion observations, you can estimate a model with a million parameters. And that doesn't sound crazy anymore. High-powered computing is being applied to more than just identifying cats. It's become a major feature of the scientific landscape. And one of the places leading the charge is Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Berkeley Lab is big. It has around 4,000 employees, nearly 1,000 of which are scientists. And Horst Simon is the lab's chief research officer. Our overall mission is bringing science solutions to the world and solving the most challenging problems in energy and environment. Berkeley Lab is behind some of the most awesome breakthroughs of the past century. Their scientists discovered 16 elements in the periodic table. They figured out the difference between good cholesterol and bad. And the lab scientists have won 13 Nobel Prizes. One of our Nobel Prize winners, Luis Alvarez, was involved in work that actually determined what was the cause for the extinction of the dinosaurs. And this is a story I like to tell when I have high schoolers or middle schoolers. Or me and Gabe. I do love dinosaurs. These days, most big scientific discoveries require lots of computing power. And this is where Horst comes in. He helped establish Berkeley Lab's supercomputing center, which runs 24-7 and is used by scientists all over the world. There was, in the last uh, maybe 15 to 20 years, a significant change in the role of computation in the scientific process. And in the early 2000s, there was a lot of discussion of computing 
being a third leg of science complementing theory and experimentation. Of course, if you have a theory, then you can use computers to do simulations, but you can also, of course, use, in terms of experimentation, supercomputers for very large-scale data analysis of data coming out of experiments. One example of large-scale data is weather. Think about the human and economic costs of hurricanes. It's really valuable to be able to model and predict them. And to do that science, you need to be able to analyze a ton of data. Horst is the co-editor of the Top 500 list, which ranks the 500 most powerful supercomputers on the planet. And one of these computers has been working on this hurricane problem. This was run on the largest computer that's currently number one on the Top 500 list, the Summit computer. That's at our sister lab at Oak Ridge National Lab. So literally the most powerful computer on the planet. Scientists are using it to see what happens in climate situations when you change the surface temperature little by little. What does it do to the distribution in terms of uh, number of hurricanes and strength of these hurricanes? If there is a warming, say, of the Gulf of Mexico, what will it do to future hurricanes. And answering these type of questions can be done with computational simulation where machine learning plays a big role in deriving the answer. Coming back to finance, we know markets incorporate a lot of data. And Brian tells us there's more data available these days than ever before. 90% of all digital data in existence was created in the past two years. There was more data created and stored in 2018 than in all of human history up until 2018. In one minute, you see 15 million text messages sent. In one minute, you see three and a half million Google searches, half a million tweets. But when it comes to investing, more data doesn't necessarily mean better predictions. So you can imagine having a billion jillion predictor variables coming from all of these different data sources that we're talking about. But in the end, the stuff that you have to forecast, that's not changing, or it's changing much, much more slowly, right? You have some assets, you're trying to predict their returns. How is that data set changing? That's a really important thing to keep in mind. It only changes with the progression of time. For example, say you're trying to predict the return of the S&P 500 and your signals tell you to go long. When do you know if that prediction panned out? Not right away. You gotta wait. This is different than machine learning in other places, like self-driving cars. There, the way to improve your predictions, well, all you have to do is drive more. And if you have 100 cars, you get 100 times more data points every second. In finance, you can't generate data like that, right? So you take a machine learning tool and you apply it to automated vehicles, and you have, like, the ability to generate more data as you need. And as time passes, data grows much more quickly than the passage of time, right? That's just not the case in finance and actually economics more broadly. Another challenge in investing is that markets are dynamic. Relationships change through time, and there's no specific rule for how markets behave. Even though machine learning can beat human experts in games like chess or Go, Horst, a guy who lives and breathes computers, warns people from taking it too far. That works because a 
Go uh, board is what uh, 371 or so spots and so in these very well described and mathematically well defined environments I think machine learning can produce some spectacular solutions but where I think the science fiction comes in is when the expectation that you can take such a well-formulated constraint problem and that through some magic, suddenly the system would acquire human level of intelligence. You can only get out what you have uh, put in in terms of assumptions and constraints. It really comes down to signal-to-noise ratios. Let's go back to our cat example. If Brian gave me a bunch of pictures of animals, I'd do a great job determining which ones are cats. You might miss a couple because, you know, there was a little bit of blur in the image or there was a weird-looking dog that you thought was a cat or something. (laughs) Really ugly cat. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But that is telling you something about the nature of the forecasting problem you're working in. That's telling you that the signal, whether or not it's a cat, is dominating all of the sources of noise in the image, like blur or background images, etc. And those are the types of environments where machine learning thrives. Now compare that to predicting returns in finance. It's practically the opposite. In finance and return prediction, the signal-to-noise ratio approaches zero. And this is not an accident. This is driven by economic features of markets. So in markets, we have competitive, profit-seeking traders, and they have some information at their disposal. And when they have that information on their disposal, they act on it. And that actually pulls the predictability out of the market. And this means finance is totally different from other places where machine learning has been so successful. Like image recognition, automated vehicles, chess, and Go. These are all places where mostly what you're trying to figure out, what does the set of rules look like? But you don't have a lot of noise around it. Finance is the opposite. There are some rules underlying the behavior of sort of where prices are going to go in the future, but that's a tiny part of the total variation that you see in returns. It makes you wonder, how additive is machine learning for investors? Can it dramatically improve return prediction? These are the big questions that I think people sort of jump to the conclusion that it's worked so well elsewhere, it's going to work well here. Elsewhere, you didn't have that type of countervailing force, which is humans are already processing tons of information as is. That stuff's already showing up in prices. But there are some kinds of strategies where machine learning might have a pretty big edge. Think about high-frequency trading. So as I go to these shorter and shorter frequencies, now there get to be very real barriers to entry. Some of them could just be physical barriers, right? I have to have a whole bunch of technical machines in place that can do things like interact with markets at high frequencies in order to trade at high frequencies. Mm -hmm. There may be actual limits to the speed at which I can convey information. Those barriers to entry mean that high-frequency markets tend to be less efficient, which means that there could be more predictability for machine learning to work with. And even at lower frequencies, machine learning can still be helpful. Say you want to build a portfolio of small, cheap stocks. Typically, quantitative investors don't simply use raw data to do that. Maybe they take the log of market equity, or maybe they take the cross-sectional rank of the book-to-market ratio. They use some logical or economically motivated transformation of the data ahead of time. 
But one challenge is there are lots of ways to transform that raw data. And one way machine learning can help is through something called a neural network. The neural network is trying to do the same thing, but it's trying to figure out what are the best transformations within the model. Rather than a researcher saying what the best transformation is, a computer looks for the best way itself. So say Brian gives the computer a bunch of raw data, call these Xs, and he's trying to predict returns, which we'll call Ys. What the machine is designed to do is to explore all kinds of potential connections between those Xs, transform them in the most useful way, with the ultimate objective in mind of best describing the Y. Another example is corporate bonds. Say you want to predict if an issuer is going to default or not. So you have a bunch of attributes of a firm, and you're trying to do a classification problem. Default or not default. That's the forecast you're trying to make. And you have a bunch of firm information at your disposal. And that's a place where we've been using a one machine learning method, Random Forest, to solve that one particular problem. Machine learning is also used in places like natural language processing and textual analysis. But a lot of the research on this so far has come from outside the investing world. We're trying to develop new tools that are specifically geared towards the problems that you face as an asset manager. Um, So they're not the types of problems that a linguist at a computer science department would be working on because they haven't really been thinking about that kind of problem. And um, I think this is going to be some some very influential research. I think it's going to change the way people try and do things like extract information from text documents. Machine learning has already earned its stripes in a lot of places. But Brian says we need more time to show how successful it can be in investing. When I talk to people, I try and be really honest. Research is just beginning. The successes of machine learning that you hear about, it's like anything else. You have to treat it as an anecdote until you've been able to do a serious statistical analysis of the performance of these tools. right? And that's the type of research that we're doing right now. Research that's harder than validating emails or recognizing cats. For listeners who want to send us pictures of their cats, email us at curious at aqr.com. Next time, simple concepts aren't always simple to implement. We talk about craftsmanship and investing and cooking with top chef judge Tom Calicchio. It looks simple because it's not complicated. I mean, there's not a lot of things on the plate, but it's not simple to cook a piece of fish perfectly with nothing around it because now you're actually cooking. It's like, it's like walking a typewriter without, without the, the net underneath. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch you next time. Which I spend a lot of time studying, but if you're doing things that are like image recognition, well, you have everybody and their dog putting pictures of everything they see on, say, Instagram, and labeling them and all of these things that are really useful for statistical analysis. No joke, most of my Instagram is dogs. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to definitely edit that out, too. (laughs) The views expressed in this recording are the personal views of the participants as of the date indicated and do not necessarily reflect the views of AQR itself. Nothing contained in this recording constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, and it should not be viewed as a current or past recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The information in this recording is based on current market conditions, which will fluctuate and may be superseded by subsequent market events or for other reasons. AQR does not assume any duty to update forward-looking statements. 
The information in this recording has been developed internally and or obtained from sources believed to be reliable. However, no representation or warranty, express or implied, is made or given by or on behalf of AQR as to the accuracy and completeness or fairness of information contained in this recording. Any liability as a result of this recording, including any direct, indirect, special, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. Copyright 2019, AQR Capital, LLC, all rights reserved.